here with Father Augustin Weta. You're a Benedictine from St. Louis, an author, speaker, and uh, you gave the employee retreat here a year or two ago, and and you talked about uh, saints of failure. <laughs> so that's a favorite topic of yours. Tell us about that. Well, I just uh, it kind of takes the pressure off, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know that necessarily everyone thinks of these people as failures, but I certainly do, and. And I just love the idea that, and I suspect it's true, I hope it's true, that God sometimes gives us a job knowing that we're not going to pull it off. Um, and, and I look to saints like, oh, Philippine Duchenne for, for inspiration in that regard. Uh, I mean, I, I personal uh, disclosure here, I coach a rugby team that hasn't had a winning season in 14 years. Um, <laughs> So I have a personal stake in this. <laughs> a validation there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we actually broke even once, and my players tore down the goalposts. Um, so I, I just like to think that being a loser is kind of a, a, a mark of distinction, like a, a special sign of Christ's love. I, some might chalk that up to my coaching, but I prefer to look at it in <laughs> biblical terms. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I have this, I, I've been collecting my favorite failure saints over the last few years, and I think it'll probably end up a book. Well, tell us about St. Rose de Chain. Well, okay, I got, I got in trouble for this, actually, because she was a Sacred Heart sister. She's actually buried in St. Louis, where I'm from, um, and uh, I was giving a talk to a big group of people, and it turned out there were Sacred Heart sisters in the... Uh, in the audience, and they objected to me referring to her as a loser. So <laughs> instead, I, uh, I'm i just going to read to you a paragraph from her autobiography. Is that okay? Sure. Because I don't, I, I don't want to go on record as, as saying anything uh, offensive about her, but uh, <clears throat> here it is. This is, so if, if you... Uh, if you have a thing for, if you, if you like Rose Philippine Duchenne and, and object to her being called a failure, you chalk this up to Marion T. Horvat, uh, who wrote her official biography. This is just one paragraph. Uh, the first order she entered closed. She did not feel realized in the second institution until she came to America to convert the Indians. So this was her whole life goal was to be a missionary, right? Uh, then, instead of carrying out this long-desired mission, she was ordered to teach girls and found convents. The work was more difficult because, get this, she never learned to speak English. <laughs> like, I'll bet it was. I mean, I teach high school, and I speak English, and it's hard enough. Um, she founded one convent. That she was from France. Right? Yeah, okay. right. Yeah, she spoke French. Um, she founded one convent that failed. Then another that foundered, the girls were, here's the quote, ungrateful and worldly. The sisters chafed under her governance and wanted to relax the rule. In fact, they made her sleep under the stairs. When she was finally permitted to work in an Indian mission, she was already 72 years old, too old to work or to learn the native language. But after only one year, she was denied even that great consolation. She was ordered to leave the Indian mission and return to Florissant, Missouri. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> uh, where she died, having converted exactly one Indian who apostatized three months later. Yeah. So, I mean, if that doesn't qualify... <laughs> For my list, then I don't know who. To, well, I do know who does outranks her, but, but I mean, but but this is I, I just love this because, um, I mean, her call, her call from God was to be a missionary. That she all her life, that's what she wanted to do, and, and she failed, uh, in a way. Uh, you know, a hundred years after her death, when the Jesuits went back to do the job right, um, the Potawatomi Indians remembered her. They said, oh, the woman who prayed, right? And then there were massive conversions, right? Because she, because of her witness. But it took uh, a century for that to take hold. I, but, but imagine people, your, your witness to prayer being so 
genuine that the people, they didn't know what she was doing, but it made such an impression they remembered her a hundred years later. That's, that's impressive for a failure. <laughs> Speaks of the power of prayer, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, she's only outranked by John the Baptist. Tell us about John the Baptist. <laughs> well, he ate bugs. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I don't think you need to say much more than that. <laughs> you know, um, well, he wore homemade clothes, right? Unattractive, uh, 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 uncomfortable homemade clothes. Died young. Um, and, his, and his great quote, I mean, the thing he's remembered for is, I must decrease so he can increase. Like, what a sad thing to say. <laughs> like, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of a, a, a political season, right? And can you imagine anyone, anyone, any politician saying, well, I must decrease so he can increase, you know? <laughs> I mean, to say nothing of, I don't know, superheroes, movie stars, or, or even televangelists. I, even I wouldn't say, oh, well, I guess I better do a bad job so someone else can come along and do it better. Um, I, I've got to fail so someone else can succeed. Um, and then, of course, he's murdered by the very people he's trying to help. And, and he's preparing them for Jesus, right, who, they, who these people would eventually reject and humiliate and execute. And yet, you know, Jesus says of him that uh, he was the greatest man born of woman, which is pretty, uh, uh, and, and the Roman calendar, right, has two feast days mm -hmm. devoted exclusively to him. He's one of the few saints mm -hmm. on the calendar. But I find it interesting the way Jesus phrased that, the greatest man born of woman. Like conceivably there are a few women that might have ranked above him. <laughs> yeah. But... Anyway, his birth, right? The birth of John the Baptist we celebrate, and then his beheading, hmm. which is itself a, a, a kind of a failure, if you ask me. <laughs> and his beheading at the request of, a, a, you know, some young pagan girl. Or was she pagan? Oh, Salome. No, probably not. Hadn't really thought of that. Her mother is married to uh, Herod. Hmm, I'll have to go back and look at that. Yeah. Who else? Uh, who are some of your other favorites? Wasn't there an Edward? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Edward the Confessor. Oh, yeah. he's great. Um, yeah, he's he makes the top ten for sure. <laughs> um, let's see. The son of Ethelred the Unready. <laughs> right? I mean, if ever there was an inauspicious beginning, that was it. <laughs> um my father's a historian, and so I, I tend to take the, the, that sort of perspective on things. But he, he's pretty widely regarded as like the worst politician in the history of Britain. <laughs> uh, weak, and impotent, timid, and famously ugly. Uh, every, every, if, you, if you look at their tapestries of this uh, poor guy, in worldly, in worldly terms, just a, a, a complete disappointment. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Dur well, during the course of his reign, he lost all the money in England. <laughs> like, how do you even do that? <laughs> and, then, and then his mother-in-law sells the country to a bunch of foreign conmen. Right? And, and... Okay, he's married to this famously beautiful, intelligent woman and can't produce an heir, um, which his contemporaries, some of the church biographers claim this was because he wanted to be a monk. I think most historians agree that his wife, the poor thing, just could not bring herself to help him <laughs> in this area. Um, but, but here's the thing. You know, England is not the most Christian country right now, or well, hasn't been for a while. And in fact, interestingly, there are more church-going Catholics in England than there are Anglicans. Uh, and, and, and yet, still to this day, over a million people go to his tomb, to visit his tomb at Westminster. Every, Every year. Wow. Yep. Yep. So he was king? Oh, or yeah. He was yeah, king. he was. Okay. He just yeah. wasn't a very good one. Okay. Well, or, or was he? I mean, I don't know. He, he, he built Westminster Cathedral. I mean, he, he may have lost all the money in England, but 
you know, what is it, a thousand years, or let's see, 14 times, well, several hundred years after his death, who cares? You know, what we've got is Westminster Abbey and his tomb and, and a great, a, he still has a great following and, and, and many, belo- you know, people still love him. Does he have a, do they go for cures or is there a special intercession? Yeah, he, he supposedly had this healing touch. And uh, I don't know. I visited his tomb last summer and touched his tomb, and I wasn't cured. So I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like me. Well, I don't blame him, honestly. In a way, though, you were. You had your surgery. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, this. Yeah, that. That's right. This was. This was the so the whole point of the sermon I preached, <laughs> wasn't it? Last last Monday is that we get these we get these uh, miracles. We get miracles all the time, and then we chalk them up to some other <laughs> some yeah. other. Force, you know, you're right. Since you're you're absolutely right. Since I visited his tomb, my tremors have disappeared. Yeah. I just also happened to have had surgery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just because it's science doesn't mean it isn't a miracle. Who yeah. are some of your other favorites there? Oh, let's see. Uh, well, Simon and Jude, they're on the list, right? Uh, Jude is confused with Judas so many times. He becomes the patron of lost causes. Um, the, the gospel writers can't keep his name straight. John calls him Judas, but not the Iscariot. Uh, Luke calls him Jude, the brother of James. And Matthew calls him Thaddeus. I, nobody knows where that comes from. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and nothing is said about him in any of the Gospels except that he asks one question, and, and not a very good one. Do you know John 14, 22? You ever, what's this? That's his question. Yeah, that's it. Lord, what's this? That's his contribution. What was he to referring to? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> There's a, now, there is a New Testament letter that bears his name, but uh, most scholars agree that someone else probably wrote it for him. Um, and then, of course, Simon, uh, he goes by not Peter. Mm. Yeah, I mean, how'd you like to be known to history as not that other guy? And that's it. They even have to share a feast day. Mm. Poor guys. But, but, I mean, these are two of the 12, two of the original founders of our faith. I mean, Jesus personally picked these two guys out. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe not a success in the worldly sense, but certainly, certainly saints. I think uh, that is the point, right? That God doesn't need great things of the world to achieve his purposes. And mm-hmm. in fact, these crosses, these humiliations... Mm-hmm can benefit us, yeah. it makes us ready for God, open to Him, seek His will, be open to His power. And well, I mean, see, I'm, I'm of the opinion, too, that the failure in itself is useful. You know, I mean, St. Paul says we, that mysterious phrase, we make up in our sufferings what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I mean, I... I I mean, yes, I agree that you can learn from your failures, and those can be good things in that sense. But I'm, I'm, I hope that they're actually good in themselves, insofar as you unite them to the sufferings of Christ. Right. That your failure can be can help save the world. Right. You know, it, simply by virtue of its failure, yeah. not even not even as a learning experience. Or although, of course, I. You know, I hope I hope you don't fail. <laughs> um, well, you know, this year I've for, I've been doing the Station of the Cross frequently during Lent, and and it really hit me this year just how Jesus, you know, just the whole dynamic of the cross entering into weakness and vulnerability, mm. and like the help he received. He fell three times. Mm. He receives help from Simon, the Simon. Yeah, that's right. You know, the holy women comfort him. Veronica comforts him. Yeah. You know, Mary's there along the way of the cross, which I, I'm kind of, I'm not sure how to fully understand that. At one level, it'd be very painful, you would think, to have your mother see you mm. in this condition. Mm. But at the same time, too, I think, wouldn't it be encouraging her presence, you know, at the foot of the cross, standing in faith? I don't. I guess. So I, it's a great mystery there. But, he, you know, but I guess the, is, the thing is. that spoke to me, though, is just that it's okay 
to be vulnerable. It's okay to be weak. Yeah, our, our culture constantly gives us the, the message that this is not okay. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Jesus himself entered into that just because he's perfect, he didn't commit a sin, but he had a human nature that physically was exhausted. Mm. I don't know about emotionally. Fell, yeah. fell down. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's gotta, that is a failure, right? I mean, yeah. it's a failure to walk. Right, right. Yeah. And twice. Yeah. Or third, or is it three times? Three times. Know. Yeah. Three three times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's um, you know, and I was thinking about this with regard to these scandals in the priesthood that we can't avoid thinking about. And I, you know, I, you know, on one level, we're all sort of sick of hearing about it. But then again, I don't know. I, I spent a couple of years you know, pointing fingers and saying, those guys, they, those guys let me down. Those guys pulled the rug out from under my feet, you know. But that isn't what Jesus did, is it? I mean, he, he it's not just that he, I and mean, he became sin, right? He, he was, he was identified with us. And, and I wonder sometimes if, if, since there's just no way in, out of it that, to be Christ-like, we just have to take a piece of that, you know. And who is without sin? I mean, well, other than Jesus. And if Jesus can come down and be one of us, I guess I can. I guess I can take a piece of that, yeah. you know. As painful as it is, I mean, Jesus, in a way, becomes our failure, doesn't he? Never really thought about it like this until now. But he he doesn't just fail if that's what you if that's the way you want to put it he actually becomes our failure and then of course the cross right is humanity's greatest failure and our greatest triumph all at the same time yeah he huh. was he was crucified naked outside of the city wall at a garbage dump yeah yeah you don't get any lower than that <laughs> i mean and then, yeah. and that's how he saves us. So God draws good from all sufferings, failures, and stuff in our life. He can somehow use it mysteriously for the good. And and I I think, you know, for a lot of us, you know, we don't want to enter into that vulnerability space, you know, yeah. and and that's that's hard. You know, we want I don't know respect or something and perfection. And you know, I I think too. I see this in my own life. It's like the solution is like in these moments of failure and everything, it's like we have to trust God. And yeah. I I wanna be self sufficient. I wanna <laughs> I wanna keep driving the bus. Yeah. Know? And I don't wanna depend. And it's like if I just if I take it to God and said, I don't have control here, I'm deeply flawed and you know, imperfect. But if I trust you with this, it's okay. Well, we want to, you know, I, I want to go before, I want to, I want to have something to offer God when I die, right? right like, I want right. to, I want to be able to go up there and say, look at what all these things I did for you, you know? Yeah. yeah. And yet all that is his, insofar as I did anything good, it was his work. And ironically, the only thing he really wants from me and the only thing that's really completely mine to give are my sins, mm. <laughs> are my failures. Um, isn't there a, didn't St. Jerome, there was a, there's a story about St. Jerome that he had a vision of a crucifix and, um, let me think about this. Yeah, and the crucifix, the, the, the crucified Lord said to him something like, don't you have anything to give me? And he said something like, well, you know, I translated the Bible and I found all these and I've been a bishop and I've gone around and he's like, yeah, and that pleases me, but really, what do you have to give me? And he goes through all these lists and things, and finally he says, I don't know, I, you know, I give up. And, I, and Jesus says to him, your sins, like, you're not giving me your sins. And it's the one thing I want, <laughs> right? And I can't help thinking it's the only thing that we really have to give that's ours. Um, so it's, it's our failures that really kind of matter to him. 
it just seemed like those are like the spaces, the poverty. If, if, if Jesus has preferential option for the poor, if he draws close to the outcast, the marginalized, the poor, he's going to meet us in those failures, mm. those poverties. Right. That's what he's drawn to. And that's where we see his power. His, you know, it's perfected in weakness. We told St. Paul, you know, my power's perfected in weakness. And so I, I think the thing I, on a good day, try to do is uh, <laughs> you turn to God with this and say, help me with yeah. this, Lord. And I, well, you, I, yeah, go ahead. No. Well, I was going to say you, I mean, you gave the, a, a similar talk to the employees, you kind of huh. wrapped it up with what you would say at a oh, graduate. Yeah. Do you have that? Can you read that? I do, I do. I Although I was just thinking about, uh, <laughs> before I before I do, I, I wanted, you, you, you were talking about the preferential option for the poor, and, and it just got me to thinking, like, I wonder if it's a mistake not to see ourselves as poor. <laughs> I yeah, because we all have different, we have yeah. a pot, might not be a material poverty or something. Right, but, yeah. and I, you know, I, I wonder if, if part of our our maybe our problem, especially in this country, is that we don't see ourselves as poor, we we, we want to. I, I have a friend uh, who I am always quoting from Nigeria, and he says, you know, when when you Americans think of of Africa, you always think of a little child. He's like, you know, we're not children. We're not all children. <laughs> like you think we're all these poor, you know impoverished children and, and there is great poverty in Africa but you know we're also adults and we have cultures and riches of our own you know and, and we're equals <laughs> and I I thought to, and he said you know or and I, I went with him grocery shopping once and um, it was he had just come to America and he froze at the end of the shopping lot uh, the aisle and he grabbed me by the shoulder and he goes he says Augustine this entire row is food for your dogs <laughs> he, he, I mean, he couldn't get over it food for your dogs and, and on the way home he was like what is wrong with you people <laughs> you know and that's I think that's a special kind of poverty when you I mean, not that you shouldn't feed your dog, <laughs> but but to then to then turn around and pity someone else when there's so much, when we have so much that we waste and and take for granted. I mean, that's a poverty. Didn't didn't Mother Teresa say that we were the most the poorest country in the world, or something like that? Yeah, I say? know she talked about like a poverty of loneliness and isolation in the wealthy country, and yeah. that and that any country yeah. that fears children so much yeah. it would rather kill them. That yeah. that's that's <laughs> real poverty. Yeah, yeah. I I heard this an African woman say one time moving to the United States, she said, you know, like a, a wealthy the wealth gives us the illusion of control. And so, Ooh, yeah. So, but you really, we really don't have it. You know, we think we might have it, but we don't. Right. And right. I, I talked to a woman. Visiting, it's all on loan, isn't it? Yeah. I I talked to a woman here that in the seventies she was in Africa, and uh, they got hit. I forgot if it was a drought or something, but. Um, and her father had passed away, and, and she didn't eat for a month one time. Good Lord. As a child. And then, and they were, they weren't Christians or Catholics. And, and because of the poverty, the, these good sisters in France would give scholarships to a boarding school, and she got to go and study, wow. became a Catholic, and eventually came to the United States to live and became a nurse and stuff here. And, uh, it's just a beautiful story of faith. You know, she cherishes her faith and everything. But, I mean, she didn't tell me anything in particular. But I remember I just, I thought about, too, just, you know, you still have struggles coming. I would think after you've been through that, your life's just a cakewalk then. <laughs> or yeah. you'd be so spiritually, you know, perfected. that. Uh, but it's just like still even coming into this culture and the materialism, you know, just produces like a struggle in us, you know, that we have to be careful of. And uh, Well, and yeah. I, I have to wonder at 
God's sense of humor, or, or at least his sense of justice or something, that, that we who are so sure of ourselves are now receiving hundreds and thousands of missionaries from Africa. Yeah. <laughs> I was... Uh, I mean, I, I was just up in uh, and India. Oregon and India <laughs> yeah. and talking to this Nigerian, and he was saying, yes, I was sent from Africa to convert the pagans. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's right. I mean, here, yeah, I, I think there's something really beautiful about that, that, <laughs> that we're now, yeah, and, and my friend, again, my friend who I am always quoting, uh, Father Nwokoye, Patrick Nwokoye, um, he says, um, 60 years ago, all your priests were Flanagan and O'Halloran and Hannigan. No vocation crisis. Now all your priests are Umbas and Edu and Wokoye. Now we have a vocation crisis. He's like, you've never produced your own vocations. He's like, what are you talking about? And I, you know, I, you got to hand it to him. I mean, I got to give him credit for that. It's we've i think we're poorer than we give ourselves credit for is that is that even an expression um but yeah no you you alluded to my graduation speech i think so which, this is uh, if you ever had the opportunity to which speak, i have not which you have not but this is what you would say yeah well i got to preface that with that that my my monastery in st louis runs a prep school and um so I end up listening to a lot of graduation speeches, and some of them are very good. Um, you know, we we actually we had a kid graduate two years ago who his senior thesis he made a prosthetic arm for his father <laughs> with a three D printer so that his dad could play baseball with. I mean, this is a great kid, but yeah. so I don't want to make him sound really shallow and horrible. But a lot of these. Graduation speeches are shallow and horrible, and they all sound—they all sound like this. They go, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> parents, faculty, esteemed students of blah 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 school, great honor to be here. Which of course it's not. Blah blah blah. We will always be friends. You know, which of course they won't. Uh, we've had our ups and downs. Blah blah blah. A little funny story. Blah blah. Something about God, maybe. Blah blah blah. We. I never thought we'd make it. Blah blah blah. But with you know a blah blah education, you'll be prepared to go out and change the world. So so follow your dreams and be true to yourself and think outside the box and and remember that you're perfect just the way you are. Blah blah blah. You know. Thank you. Anyway, I, I was sitting through one of these interminable speeches. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, I, now, now that I'm a big shot, humble person, I, uh, I, traveling around speaking about humility, I go to a lot of high school graduations. I don't know how this happened. But uh, I was sitting through one of them, and I finally wrote out my own, which I have never been asked to give. <laughs> uh, but, but since you're asking, I'm going to, I'll give it, I'll give it to you now. But I have to, I have to visualize myself in a great amphitheater with all these students, of which of which the listeners are are a few. <clears throat> okay, let me let me get myself ready for this. Parents, parents, faculty, and esteemed students of the blah blah school, <clears throat> you are all going to fail over the next few years. You will all inevitably have your hearts broken, experience loneliness, miss a major opportunity, lose a game, lose a job, lose some money, be abandoned and ridiculed and humiliated and scorned. You, my dearest friends, are destined for failure, and that is very, very sad. But it's also okay because your God had his heart broken. Your God was ridiculed by his friends. Your God was humiliated and scorned and abandoned. And that means that your dignity is not bound up with your success. You are a child of God. You've been divinized. And in the end, 
when you lie on your deathbed, as we all inevitably do, without trophies or diplomas or accolades, without even your bodily health to comfort you, all that will matter is your existence as a child of God, and it will be enough. In fact, it will be more than enough. It will be everything. I remember when, yes. <laughs> I remember when, I remember when you said that to the employees at the retreat. One of them shouted out, Amen. <laughs> what? Amen? They, yeah. I'd never heard that at one of our retreats that everyone got an amen, you know. But, yeah, of course, thought, you, of course, I do hope that they are successful I mean, <laughs> for the sake of EWTN. <laughs> I found what powerful in that line, too, is just your existence as a child of God. You're not there with all your trophies and everything, you know. It's just that what matters is that you're a child of God. Well, we start. You started off this conversation talking about Our Lady, and, and I and and what you're saying now reminds me, of course, of the Magnificat, right? That she says, and here she she has just been told that she is to play the greatest role in the history of humanity, you know, second only to Jesus Himself, and and her response is, yeah, all generations will call me blessed, but why? Because my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Nothing that she she doesn't she doesn't claim she did anything. It's her exit mea anima. Mm. My existence proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Like just the fact that I am, right? That is a great point. Yeah. Well, she's I. I just I. <laughs> I was just gonna say I can't get enough of Our Lady, but who can? I mean, she's. And, 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 you know, when you were talking about the crucifixion, I, I can't help thinking about the self-discipline. I, I was thinking about this just the other day, that here she is, he, his friends all took off, and she's got to stand there with one, one of his friends, sticks it out, right, and watches him torture to death. And I don't know of, I mean, I can't imagine a mother having to see that, right? And then... Within 24 hours, those guys are all back at her house asking for a place to stay. <laughs> you know, I mean, because, you know, within three days, they're all in the upper room again. Mm -hmm. And she welcomes them. I mean, I, I just got to say, like, in her shoes, I would have been like, no, you guys can, you guys can get lost. All right. Where were you three days ago <laughs> when I, John and I, we're stuck there by ourselves, you know, watching, you know, watching my son, you know. But she has this incredible yeah. self-discipline. Yeah, but I love that point, you know, my soul. You know, yeah, she's the Immaculate Conception. She is this mm. new creation in Christ, the first mm. of this new creation. And, and, and the, the scriptures don't detail all these great works of hers. I mean, the visitation is this great thing, you know, this big journey yeah. to go and serve. But we don't have accounts of her preaching or missionizing or anything like that. Or working miracles or... Yeah. Or even, I mean, they, they don't even make a big deal out of her <laughs> her generosity. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess the, the visitation is pretty amazing. I know. I've come to appreciate that more because it's kind of a big journey, big change in elevation. <laughs> but... It is For a, a pregnant young woman. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's an image, I think, of the, the church's mission and goes out. I think that's, that's to me, that's the main message is like the church is mission, you know. But, but two, you know, at the Annunciation, I, I think it was Pope Benedict talked about this, that, you know, what did she say? She didn't say like, here's the angel, it gives the message, and she said, I'm going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill this task, I'm going to do great things. Mm. You know, she says, let it be done to me according oh, to your word. Oh, you're right. It's like she's not even saying what she's going to do. She's her big statement of faith here is to let this let God work in her. She's going to cooperate and all this, but it's like the emphasis is like on God's work, you know? It's yeah. like our emphasis is always like I got to do it. I got to get better. I got to yeah. do something for God, you know. And I, there's a balance, you know, and there's a life of virtue, and we're supposed to engage and serve mm -hmm. and work hard. 
But I think sometimes we approach it, I know I do, is like you miss the fundamental foundation of it is that it's got to be God's got to build yeah. the house. And well, labor's labor in vain, you know. One year I asked at the faculty retreat, I asked the faculty to give the retreat this time because I had run out of ideas. <laughs> and and one of our old curmudgeonly teachers uh, got up and told the story of how when he was 11 years old, he took up smoking for Lent. And <laughs> And uh, because he hated smoking, his father smoked, and, and he thought it was horrible. And 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 so, as a penance and as a way to sort of intercede on his father's behalf, he would steal a cigarette every day. Every day, go down to the basement, smoke half of it, and of course, he got caught. <laughs> and he said, and the point of telling the story was that I couldn't even get my penance right. Like, and and it's and now I'm what seventy years old, and I. St- Still can't fit, do my penance right. Like, and his point, and I think I agree with him that part of the point of all the things we give up for Lent is to show us how bad we are coming through on our promises. <laughs> it's no sin, I think, to be to miss the mark. You yeah, know, yeah. Because I because I think part of the point of Lent is is to show us our weakness. Even yeah, you know. That's, I, I was listening to the scene. I had a whole bag of M&Ms last night. <laughs> I gave up sweets for lunch. <laughs> I, I blame the nuns, though. <laughs> sister servants are too hospitable. Well, the, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I was listening to this Catholic News Agency podcast, and and one of the guys asked the other, yes, this is the introductory remarks. He goes, well, how's your Lent going? And the guy said, I've... Just full of self-loathing and hatred and <laughs> despair. It's like, you know, and it was, the, you know, that he had, and the implication, I think, was the failure to live up to, you know, the perfect limb that he wanted. And, uh, right. Well. But I think that, yeah, the brokenness, contrite spirit is, you know, so valuable. But, it is. But at the same time, you know, the, for all of our talk of failure, we don't, I I mean, I call these these saints failures, but I do it sort of uh, to be deliberately provocative. The the point is, of course, that they're these incredible success stories, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't identify ourselves by our sins, right? By our, by the evil that we do, or by our failures. We're we are identified. We are transformed in Christ. Right or Athanasius says, uh, "Christ became man; God became man, that man might become God." Um, which uh, you know, Mar- uh, which gives the lie, I think, to Martin Luther's analogy of the snow-covered dunghill. Right, mm-hmm. that we're all just we're all just manure, and right. as if there's something wrong with manure. <laughs> right, I mean that that. The, well, that's a whole other subject in itself, but but that that he that Jesus hides our true nature from God beneath the snow right. of His grace, and that's yeah. that's just wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, for one thing, because we're there's we are transformed. It's not a superficial thing, but also I'll just I I just don't think there's anything wrong with manure. I mm-hmm. I've got this four year old niece uh, and. For the record, I don't like kids all that much. I don't find them entertaining. I haven't had an intelligent discussion with a four-year-old ever. Uh, they're a little bit selfish, if you ask me, and <laughs> and they their hygiene is terrible. Um, but but George is okay. And 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 last Christmas, or this last Christmas, she and I are playing American Girl dolls in the front room with my my sis. I'm at my sister's house and. I can't imagine a least a, a less exciting endeavor than playing with American Girl dolls. But we're playing, and and I got up to leave, and she goes, she says, "Gussie, where are you going?" And I said, "I'm just gonna, I'm gonna duck into the bathroom if if you don't mind." And she says, "Are you gonna poop?" And I'm like, uh, "Well, I, I, it's a possibility." <laughs> I, <laughs> and she says, "It's gonna be stinky." 
Like, and I'm like, thank you for that warning. <laughs> um, I've done it before. Have you explained to her you studied literature and ancient languages and that you're <laughs> an Explain to her that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, that doesn't matter to her. <laughs> I, uh, but, but, but the point is, I come back a few minutes later and, and we're playing again. And she stops and she says, Gussie. And I'm thinking, you know, this is why I don't like kids. Um, and she says, did Jesus poop? And I said, yes, yes, he did. And she goes, cool, <laughs> right? Because, because this is the one thing Georgia can really do well, right? <laughs> I mean, and this is very exciting to her to learn that she's got this in common with Jesus, you know? And this is what, who's St. Paul says, uh, everything you do, <laughs> Do for the glory of God, right? I mean, everything, everything. That that's the whole point of the in, well, probably not the whole point of the incarnation, but but a lot of it is that all of creation is infused with divine dignity. Like, uh, and there's so there's nothing wrong with with mm. poop, which incidentally, I I is why bad words I think are bad words, right? Not because four letters juxtaposed in any particular order bad, but because you take a good thing, I mean, a really good thing, like poop. Here I've spent the last 10 minutes mm. of your podcast talking about poop, but, but, but you take something that's good, fundamentally good, a creation that is God's, and you give it this bad attitude. Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, this isn't a problem for Georgia, you know, in mm -hmm. fact, she celebrates it. <laughs> and well, we should, you know, mm -hmm. why, why, why should this be something shameful and hidden? And well, why should Jesus want to hide one of God's creations from God? <laughs> he couldn't, eat, no one could. What do we do with the saints that <laughs> <Soccer>. are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get back to uh, sanctity. And uh, well, yeah, you know. sometimes I think of like a John Paul II, you know, who is very talented. Yeah. And very successful. I Brought guess, down the communist empire. Yeah. yeah. And he, and I guess to me, the message is, is like, we don't want to measure like a spiritual perfection holiness by a worldly standard right. of perfection. And so we're saying these saints had like these worldly failures, but had great, maybe some right. spiritual. Let me ask you real quick. Is it St. Edward? He's in Westminster Cathedral? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's a Protestant. Tomb. Well, I mean. Everything in England was Catholic at one point, right? right? And, oh, so and originally, originally he there. built oh. this abbey, okay. and then eventually Cromwell and his buddies okay. took over. So they, they still have the body, though, right? Oh, yeah. yeah that yeah, was the yeah. one saint's tomb that they couldn't desecrate. No one would let, I mean, even, even, the, even Cromwell and his buddies couldn't, no one would let them touch the tomb of St. Cuthbert. Wow. Uh, sorry, sorry, St. Edward. Wow. Um, yeah, he's the one saint, and they were even trashing statues of Our Lady, but boy, no one touches the tomb of King Edward. That is great. <laughs> that is amazing. It is, and yeah. to, to think that he was such a failure politically, yeah. and yet he was so loved, is still so loved. Yeah. I mean, there's something, there's something there. And you, in your talk, too, jump to this, you talked about like the measurement that the Greeks gave to oh. honor. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, I um, yeah, I, I teach classics, and um, my students and I read the Iliad every year. And um, well, and, and there's this. I, some will say it's the great turning point in the history of Western civilization. Is this is actually this fictional moment in the Odyssey, where Achilles, who is has refused to fight. Um, he says, I hate that man like I hate the gates of death. He's talking about Agamemnon because he tore my honor out of my hands. Now, Agamemnon's the king that's brought him into service, right? right. And Agamemnon <laughs> stole one of his slaves. So by the ancient Greek, see, warrior cultures, it turns, like, it turns out they're this way even today, um, but uh, warrior cultures depend on uh, your, your reputation with your peers is everything. Honor, honor cultures. 
And, and, and in ancient Greece, you could measure this by how much stuff you had and by how much people talked about you. And, and so if, you had, if I had five more cows than you did, then I had five more tibe, five more honor. And, it, and if you insulted me and I couldn't come back with an equal or greater insult, then you had that much more kleos or, or glory. Sometimes you hear it said honor and glory. Um, and, and interestingly, I, I was talking about this with my students, and one of them brought in a rap song by Kendrick Lamar, <laughs> which I don't necessarily recommend that you listen to. But, but he, he, this is a guy who I think, if I've got all, I, I'm sure I don't have all the details right, but um, from what I understand, he grew up in gang culture, right, which is a warrior culture. And he says, everything is about money and reputation. Money and rep, money and rep, I think is the refrain. And he says, but I fought my way out. And I, I, I got out of there. And now I hang out with politicians and movie stars. And, and now it's all about money and rep, money and rep. He says, so, so it all it's quite, the man, I think, is kind of a genius. Uh, but, but. The, the, and the genius of this is that things haven't changed. That the, and, and no matter which class you think you are, you're still bound into this Bronze Age measure of a man's worth. And, and I think now more than ever, because my students, again, all my best material comes from my students. Um, but one of them says to me, um, yeah, well, we can measure our honor. Right, I've got I've got fifty followers on my Twitter account, and uh, he only has forty. Right, and and not just that, but I can take some of his followers, right, mm -hmm. or I can publicly insult him on the internet, and people can measure how many likes I got for that, and how many, and I can dislike what he posts, and 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 so this whole Bronze Age standard has re emerged like in, in even in an even more measurable way and, and if you ask me why people are so stressed out and and anxious and angry uh all the time i think this is part of it i mean there's a reason why these men these these greeks were so violent <laughs> you know I mean, they were they were stressed out and and trying to Protect and protect keep. Protect and keep these things. Yeah, yeah. protect. Oh, I like that. Protect and keep. <laughs> right. Because, and, and to protect and keep something that you have no control over, like yeah. reputation, yeah. is a recipe for frustration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Protect and keep. I like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. There's no way you can protect and keep your reputation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm even thinking, we watched a movie recently. Ford versus Ferrari, and it's uh, it's got coarse language, and I'm not going to recommend. It. But uh -oh. they have some great speeches in it. Oh and yeah, it, it made me think just how often we want to be able to have be able to say the right thing, you know, not lose <laughs> the argument and 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 look good and be clever or whatever. And it's like you know, part of the like the sources of pride is that I think. You know, classically, the spiritual writers tell us it's like that we're the source of our own goodness and greatness. You know that it's, and it it can mask. You know, in our like being spiritually worldly, that you know we attribute things to God, but deep down, it's like you know I got to get it together, and mm. I'm the source of it, and I got to protect it, and I got to have the answer, and all this kind of stuff. You know, and it is—it's exhausting, yeah. and you can't do it. Can't keep. Well, it up. and I think it's interesting the way you put it too. That I feel like I've got to win this conversation. Yeah, I got to win. Right. Like, right. like there's, I, I, whatever happened to conversation? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you and I disagree, yeah. and we just, we just talk. Yeah. You yeah. know, that that that's the cost of the Bronze Age measure is that you're constantly protecting your reputation right it, when when what would really be beautiful is if we could if you and i could disagree and just let our ideas mingle right you know because yeah. i put them out there and you put them out there and we and, and we let them cross fertilize yeah and and, yeah. and you know maybe we don't ever agree yeah but 
each of us becomes a little broader in our understanding, maybe just of our own position. But right. somehow every conversation is a competition. Yeah. Right? right. And then and then you throw cell phones into the mix, right? Yeah. So you and I are having this argument, and I say, oh, but statistically, blah, 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 and I read you my <laughs> cell phone. So you get out your cell phone, and you say, well, but statistic, those statistics are according to this website. Right. And pretty soon we're not even, it's just our cell phones talking. <laughs> we're not even having the yeah, conversation yeah. anymore. Yeah, because it's so important to win. I think right? especially among men, and even at our table, sometimes we'll yeah. a lot of you know we'll we'll go to Wikipedia to settle an argument, and it's kind of refreshing. And women have their own set of weaknesses with pride or vanity, and men, I think sometimes it, it is like to win the argument, mm. to one up, to come off as having the right answers and stuff, and. Sometimes it's refreshing. I've just noticed that even working on television, sometimes with women, there's less tension sometimes with that. Mm. It's like they don't seem to fall prey as much to that. Now, what I, I know, probably whatever, not. Yeah. yeah, but whatever mm. weaknesses they do have, but it, you know, it's interesting. Just we have complementary gifts and weaknesses, but um, you know, yeah. we may. You're going to say something. Or? Well, no, I'm just thinking about the competition again. Um, and the com the competition versus the conversation. Now nah, I lost it. What were you gonna say? Well, I, I think of one time I was in an airport. We were coming back from a walk for life, and I oh, I right. talked to this professor from a local school, and she was very pro-choice. And sure, I think she'd had a little bit to drink or something, but she got kind of aggressive and just like just you know just kind of tore me up and I, I didn't have the snappy response or whatever. And it was, uh, you know, I just kind of, we just kind of had to walk away. She really wasn't interested in engaging on it. She just kind of condemned our position and who we are and everything. But, you know, it, it you know, it's, it's painful. Yeah, you know? it is. <laughs> it's painful when that happens. We just pray for them. And, but, you know, I see, and I have this, I, I hear where you're coming from, because in the classroom, too, I, you feel like this conversation, like there's so much at stake. Right. right. If I don't, right. if I let the kid win, <laughs> then then he's going to become an atheist, you know, right. or he's going to become, uh, he's going to become pro-choice or something. But I found that. You know, sometimes I just got to say to the kid, you know, boy, that is a really good argument. Uh, maybe I have to become an atheist now. Let me go think about this. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's a really smart way of putting it. And I, I've, and then I come back maybe the next day with an mm -hmm. answer or two. And he's more likely now to give ground to my argument because right. I, you know, I, I think sometimes there's, there's value in just losing the argument as well. Um, I mean, I, I got, I, I don't know, well, I was going to say I got in trouble, but I didn't. It, it, it eventually, it, initially it was controversial and then it all sort of worked its way out. But I was, at, I was given an award by a, a pro-life group of some sort and um, they asked me to challenge them. And I think what they meant was like challenge them to do more or something. But I said, my challenge was, <laughs> it, would you just take this with a grain of salt? Go on to Planned Parenthood's website and find something you agree with, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying be open-minded to yeah. evil, yeah. but we want them to come to our website with an open mind, right? right. And, and, and maybe the next time you're in one of these drop-down, drag-out fights, mm -hmm. you can say, you know, I was actually looking through your website the other day, mm -hmm. and this made a lot of sense. You know, because right. because no one is is completely evil, right? You know, completely evil. Yeah. There's got to be some. I mean, it wouldn't be a convincing argument if there weren't something there that was true, right? Right. So, so maybe you know. I a, think a about that. How we need to capitalize on good impulses that might be misguided, misdirected, because right. of some foundation. You know supposition that's wrong or something right but there's still this you know this person would say they desired want the good or this good and somehow instead of we've got to somehow marshal that and yeah try to move the culture to a good it, it's getting harder and harder because we disagree on so much now but it's uh 
We do, but I also think we do a lot of jumping to conclusions when it comes to other people's motives,、mm. right? I, I I've been I, we were talking about this at lunch, I think, about that I've been writing this book on decision making, and as a result, I've been reading all these psychology books as well, just to sort of cover all my bases,、um, and. And one of the things they talk about is this this concept called the fundamental attribution error, right? Which says,、um, if if I when I do something dodgy, I take into it. I assume that everyone around me understands their circumstances, right? I mean that that I must be having a horrible day. If I cut in line, it's because I'm I'm in I'm I'm stressed and it's an emergency and. I'm sure they understand, right? But if somebody cuts in front of me, God forbid, <laughs> it's because they're a jerk, right? Right. Yeah, and and it seems to me that well, well, it's an error, a logical error, because you're not applying the same criterion of judgment across the board. It's a、right. different criterion for me than for everyone else, right?、Um, and I wonder if you know, if part of this mistake is assuming bad will on. Anyone's、uh, on the part of the person who disagrees with you. Right. I mean, some people are genuinely jerks, <laughs> but you don't really know that until. And I and and you you. I would hope they wouldn't assume that was my motivation. Right. So why why would I why would I apply that criterion so unevenly? Yeah. You know. And I find generally, even with secular people. I'm just talking like from airport experiences, talking to people at airports. I got the habit on, you know, that they presume the best. You know, yeah, they they really do. They 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 respect something about what we do and stuff, and and make good assumptions about us. You、mm -hmm. know, well, so, I was I I was given a retreat up in Nashville.、Uh, those great Dominicans up there had asked me to come up and talk to some of their parents and or schools or whatever. And、um, and and we got to talking. I mean, I'm from St. Louis, you know, which is which is the home of Black Lives Matter and all that, and Ferguson and all that. And and I don't know how this came up, but their assumption was, and and I could see how they came to it, that these the people who were involved with Black Lives Matter were were aggressive, angry people, and and I I'm sure many of them are angry. Um, but I don't know that we can make assumptions about their motives until you go talk to them, <laughs> you know. And and, and it turns out、uh, just through because I lived there, I ended I finally ended up going to a meeting, and and I was received with with utter civility. And I told them straight out, like there are a lot of things you're saying that I just don't agree with, you know.、Mm -hmm. and, and on my way out of there. I um, I, I I kind of felt awkward of being you know a, a rich West County white man, <laughs> and um, and I said I sort of made some sort of general meaningless comment on my way. I said, "Well, I'll, I'll pray for justice." I said, and this woman turned to me and she said, "Oh, don't do that." <laughs> and I said, well, "What do you mean?" And she goes. Well, I don't want Jesus to start handing out justice, <laughs> like, like, and and this was, you know, I mean, my assumption was that these people want revenge,、yeah. right? But that that was the last thing、mm -hmm. on her mind.、Mm -hmm. and, and I turned to these women that I was that I was preaching to, and I said, "Okay, I've been traveling all around the country, right, this last year, dressed like this, dressed like a priest, and how often do you, would you say I was treated badly, like somebody was resentful?" Like one time, ten times, and on average, we did sort of ten times. They guess I have not once been treated poorly,、mm -hmm. not once. And frankly, knowing what has gone on in the church, I would think I'd have earned a little more than a, a little one or two <laughs> bad looks, right. Right? right? I mean, I'm wearing the same collar that some pretty lousy people wore,、uh -huh. so. And yet, like you said, people. I think people are genuine when, when really confronted, when really face to face with another、mm -hmm. actual human being. People are generally pretty good, right? right. Generous. 
Yeah. I think. There's something about the virtual world and social media that strips out the humanity and stuff in it that it does. like we say stuff online we wouldn't say and normally, you know, you know, I think people in general, but um I I mean I just I think a lot of people well, yeah, fall into that trap that Oh, I do yeah, too. Yeah. I you know, one of the sort of rules of thumb is never write an a- angry email. Just don't do it. Don't yeah. ever <laughs> write an angry And how many of those have I written? I, I, and they always end up with me going in person to apologize. So why do I ever do it? I, <laughs> well, you know, there's something in Veritatis Splendor, or no, in um, it's the Pope John Paul's document on Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason, and, and he talks about the importance of like, this dialogue with each other and that you know one that you have to be honest and you have to have like respect towards one another mm. to foster this sharing and communication of ideas and i and that you know in our political system it seems like it's it's broken down so much you know the the mutual respect and then you know the political maneuvering that chips away at the honesty and everything yeah that it you know, just to find common ground and solutions and stuff just seems harder. But I, I try to remember that sometimes too, that just you know, just begin with respect and mm. that you know, and just to be honest, you know, in, in appropriate ways that are polite and everything. But um Well and honesty also means sometimes you're not gonna have the reply. Right. <laughs> you know, right. that they, they've got a really good argument that you mm. don't have an answer for. Right. Right. If you're going to be honest, you know, like, wow, mm. I never really thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me go think about it. Yeah. Because they say, what? Uh, because, you know, I mean, 80% of statistics are made up on the spot, right? <laughs> <laughs> this, it's so easy to just sort of start spitting out, oh, some tech guy, some guy like Steve Jobs or, or someone said, um, one of his rules of thumb was, if you don't know what you're talking about, don't be innovative. <laughs> Which sounds like just sort of basic common sense, yeah. except that we do it all the time. I don't know anything about this, so I'm just going to try a shot in the dark. <laughs> just, uh, or, or I don't know anything about this, so I'm going to make up a statistic. That's probably true. Right, you know? right. But that's just dishonest. And, yeah. and, then, and then who are we arguing with? I mean, what are we trying to accomplish at that yeah. point? You yeah. know? I mean, sometimes you got to win, right? I mean, sometimes you really do. I mean, like the, was it Jesus and the woman caught in adultery? We don't know what he wrote in the sand. and We don't care. He got that woman out of a dangerous situation, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then there are other times when he and his interlocutors are really listening to each other. Mm -hmm. Like... uh, I guess it's the there's a Pharisee that comes to him in the middle of the night mm. and says, which of these is is mm. the most important commandment? And he says, well, love your neighbor and love your God. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's you're right. And, he, and then Jesus says, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And mm. the two of them actually, I mean, I don't know how to what extent Jesus learned something, but the <laughs> yeah. two of them grew closer. Right, right? right. And it doesn't say that he became a Christian. Yeah. yeah. He, they both parted then. Right. Right. Um, yeah, the I to bring it back to one of my failure saints. I I was giving a retreat in oh I don't know Arkansas somewhere, and um, this big fellow with tattoos all up and down his arms and handlebar mustache comes up to me. It turns out he was special forces in Iraq or some or Afghanistan. He he's retired now, but he says I got a new failure saint for you. And I said, really? He said, yeah, patron saint of interreligious dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, who's this guy? He goes, Theodorus Tyro. And uh, so I bit, I I took the bait. I said, (laughs) what, who is he? He goes, well, he was a recruit for the Roman army in, I think, the second century AD. He tells me the story. And he says, "He, um, he joins the Roman army. And a couple of days after he joins up, they are ambushed by barbarians. And this new guy, this uh, two-day-old recruit, fights with such valor and such aggression that he gets the nickname The Recruit. <laughs> Tyro in Latin. This is Theodorus. When he's introduced around, this, the, around the cohort, he's, this is Theodorus, 
the recruit we've been talking about, right? So he's got all the respect to these guys. And um, two or three years into his term of service, he converts to Christianity. The problem is that they've all got to offer a sacrifice at the temple of, I think, Sibylle. And um, so he says to his buddies, I can't do this. I'm a Christian. I can't offer sacrifice to Father God. So they say to him, look, you just walk by the temple we will assume that you offered the sacrifice. So he says, okay. So he walks out there and burns the temple to the ground <laughs> and comes back. And his friends, interestingly, his friends aren't, aren't angry. They, they know who he is. They know he's hardcore. <laughs> they knew he was probably going to do something like this. So they said, well, you know, now we have to kill you. <laughs> and he says, okay, you know, no hard feelings all around. Like, and so, says my friend, he's the patron of it. I, I found, by the way, no evidence that he is the patron of it in religious dialogue. But, but, but the point stands, he doesn't compromise on the truth, nor do his friends. And, they're, and even to the end, even to the point where they kill him, he understands they've got a job to do. They understand mm. he has these convictions. And, and they part as friends, as mm. it were. You know? And I, I, I kind of see that. Not sure I would make him the patron of interreligious dialogue, but but I see where he's coming from. <laughs> Theodorus Tyro. So yeah, he's he's on my list of failures. Uh, certainly didn't make it past three years. He was killed by his own men. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I think that that qualifies. Well, that's a good ending note for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a I have a whole litany of failure saints. If, if you'd like to pray them, okay, as, sure, before we, sure. Okay, so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm. Uh, God, our Father, help us to be successful. But if it's not in our vocation that we succeed at this or that endeavor, at least, at least grant that that failure might be united with the sufferings of your Son. And, uh, and so we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Saint Drogo. Pray, pray for, for us. Saint Mucus. Pray for us. Saint Hedwig. Pray for us. Saint Egbert. Pray for us. Saint Dodo. Pray for us. Saint Polio. Pray for us. Saint Hilarious. Pray for us. Saint Willibald. Pray for us. Saint Gleb. Pray for us. Saint Rudolph. Pray for us. Saint Mungo. Pray for us. Saint Blathmac. Pray for us. Saint Guthlack. Pray for us. And St. Barfian. Pray for us. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs>